Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. This is your host, Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us today. On today's show, we have on Trevor Burmeister, minor league hitting coach for the Colorado Rockies. Trevor started his coaching career at UW Lacrosse in 2014 as the outfield and assistant hitting coach. In his second year at the school, the team went on to take second place in the World Series. The following season, Trevor started pursuing his master's degree at the University of Minnesota Duluth, and in his first season there, they also had the third best batting average and the second best home run totals in NCAA Division II. And before getting hired by the Rockies, Trevor was an assistant coach at Madison College. And in 2019, he was named the NJCAA Division II Assistant Coach of the Year by the ABCA and Baseball America. So on the show, we discuss how to best use technology, how to create a challenging training environment, and Trevor goes in depth with implements and constraints training. Here is Trevor Burmeister. Trevor, welcome to the show. Jonathan, thanks for having me. Definitely. I'm, I'm excited to get to have some hitting conversations with you today and, and to get to really pick your brain about a lot of different things that that you are passionate about and, and things that I, you know, obviously find interesting too. But even for myself, I'd like to get to know you a little bit better, and I know our guests would as well. So can you provide a short snapshot of your baseball background and why you decided to get into coaching? Absolutely. Um, baseball's kind of always been in the blood of my family. Um, you know, I, I grew up uh, in the country, uh, in uh, Wisconsin, uh, by the Madison, Wisconsin area. And it was me and my brother and a lot, you know, a lot of, the, I think back to those times and, you know, for us to occupy our time, a lot of it had to do with being outside and throwing a baseball around or being outside with our dad when we were young kids. And we have some cool like videos of when we were kids, uh, trying to learn how to hit for the first time. And, um, both, both my grandparents were heavily involved with baseball and, um, you know, my, uh, one of my grandparents was, was a really good player within the local area and, um, the home talent, uh, local baseball scene, my great grandparent actually, um, play, had an opportunity to play at a really high level. Um, but ultimately did not because of family reasons. Um, so it's always been kind of in my blood and my dad coached me growing up, um, in the youth scene. Um, so it's always been a huge part of my life. And, um, you know, I, I, through high school, I was a football baseball player. I loved football. I think my personality, it was kind of a feisty type, uh, fit with the football scene, but, um, I always knew that baseball was kind of my calling and as what I wanted to do going forward. Um, you know, I got into, uh, luckily Madison college, a junior college that was local, um, in Madison, Wisconsin has a program that has a lot of reputation and success. And uh, played two years there with aspirations of hopefully being able to play at an even higher level. Um, that's what a lot of the players do that come to that program. It's always about what's next and trying to build those opportunities for yourself. Um, the way I would explain myself as a player was, and I always say this to the guys I get to coach now, and I always joke with them. It's like I, I feel so fortunate because I'm able to coach guys that were so much more talented than I was. Um, I'm one of those, one of those stories of a guy that would, I would, I would call an overachiever, um, love the game, try to do things, the small things the right way. Um, but in terms of physically what I was able to do, it was, it's, you know, in my opinion, not even comparable to the guys I get to coach now with, with what they're capable of. 
so after my two years at Madison College, I went to uh, Division three school, UW-Lacrosse, um, finished out my college career. It was a great fit for me. Um, it's in the WEAC Conference in Wisconsin, which is a really strong Division three conference. Um, played my two years there. And about my junior year, when I started to be realistic with myself, knowing that professional baseball as a player probably was not going to happen with what I was capable of doing physically, I started to waft with the idea of, of coaching and, and getting into it. And luckily for me, when my playing career was done, I had a meeting with the head coach there at lacrosse, who's still there, uh, Chris Schwarz, and asked him if I could have an opportunity to start a college baseball coaching career. And luckily, he welcomed me right into the staff the next uh, following year. So I jumped right into it. I was there for a couple years. Um, primarily worked with the outfielders, but also assisted with the hitters. Um, and then I had an opportunity to go to Minnesota Duluth as a hitting coach and also got my uh, master's degree there. I was technically a grad assistant, but I was in complete, uh, complete charge of the hitters, which was a really great opportunity with how young I was. And we had a really great year. And that was a really unique situation. Um, Duluth had a lot of turnover with coaches. So I, the seniors that were on that team, which was an unbelievable group of players, um, we had a lot of success that year. Um, I believe I, sometimes I get these backed up or mixed up, but we were either, I think we were third in the country in batting average and second in the country in home runs. It could be the other way around, but I was there at that senior group. I was their third hitting coach in four years. So that was a really interesting transition. Um, but got to really kind of like run, run forward with my ideas in terms of the swing, uh, you know, develop some plans, um, some structure for those guys that they maybe didn't have in the past as much with the turnover they were constantly getting with coaches. And we had a really successful year. And then after my one year there in the summertime, I was coaching with the Madison Mallards in the Northwoods League. And I got a, a phone call from um, Coach Davenport at Madison College, where I previously played. And for people that don't know who Mike Davenport is, in my opinion, he's one of the, the best baseball minds in the country. And he, he's phenomenal. And in the back of my mind, I always wanted to go back to that program and learn under him again. And he called me and said, hey, what would you think about coming back and being a part of this program again? Like I joked with him, like, you know how long I've been waiting for this phone call? So I, I jumped out that at that opportunity, went back to Madison, um, coached for him with him for a couple of years, three years. Um, and we had a lot of success, three regionals, two world series, um, got to be under his wing again. And, um, it really helped me develop some areas where I felt like I needed to, to continue forward with this, this vision I had for myself. So it was a great decision to go back to the junior college route. And, um, you know, after I was done with that, here I am now with the Colorado Rockies. It's kind of a cool story. I mean, we, when we were, when I was at Madison college, we'd always play our spring our spring trip in Arizona. And every time we were there, we would actually get together with Darren Everson, who has, he's from Wisconsin also. And he knew coach Davenport really well. We get together with him and have dinner um, and just talk baseball, um, bounce ideas off of each other. And when I think back to those conversations that we would have, you know, it's cool to think about because it was almost like it was a job interview because he was always like pressing me with questions and kind of picking my brain and seeing like where I was at with things. And then lo and behold, 
you know, I get a phone call from, from Darren saying, Hey, what would you think about applying to be a hitting coach with the Colorado Rockies? And because it is in player development and that's exactly like what we were trying to do at Madison college and Madison college is about getting these guys their next opportunity at like the division one level. Hopefully that's where their aspirations were. The only difference now is that we're trying to prepare these guys with the Colorado Rockies to become big leaguers, but it's still in the player development realm. So I knew it really fit with my personality. It was going to be something that was going to be perfect for me going forward in terms of, um, you know, what I like to do the most. So it's been an incredible journey. Everybody's journey is different, um, but, you know, it's just about being the best at where you're at and letting opportunities come about as as the years go on. I love that, and, and I love getting to to hear your story. So, but let's let's go ahead and jump in uh, to the nuts and bolts, and, and I'm I want to uh, I'd I'd like to for you to go through how you evaluate players whenever you first see them. So, uh, let's say this off season you get placed uh, at an affiliate, and you're trying to break down what all these players do, and, and I'm sure that there's some there's some uh, vertical integration uh, with with Darren and, and the different parts of the player development staff. But uh, let's say that you're just, you get a list of players that, that you're going to be working with. What are some, what are, what are some of the first things you do when you're evaluating them? Well, I'm happy you said like, like the integrating with Darren and everybody else, we have a great staff and the best part about our staff, I believe is that we're not all like the same person. We don't view things exactly the same way. So like the perspectives are always different. So one of the first things I'll for sure do is I will bounce questions off of the people that have maybe seen these players more than I have and and try to get as clear of an understanding of who they are um, as quickly as possible. So, but from an individual standpoint, when I'm having the conversations with the players, the first thing we have to do when we're evaluating a new player is, is you need to get to know them first, more from like a personality level. And that's just about building relationships. And that's a big part of what we try to do with the Colorado Rockies is we try to build as strong of a relationship with these guys as possible. Because, you know, if you don't have that trust level with them, then what you want to do with them moving forward is, is in my opinion, fairly irrelevant. So the first thing is get to know them. What makes them tick? You know, how do they per- perceive themselves? How do they perceive success? And, you know, things like what are their fears? Like, what do they fear? Um, what are the things that they struggle with? How do they go about their preparation? And these are all conversations that you can have with players where you just kind of probe them with questions and try to get to know them as as much as you can. When it comes to evaluating them, you know, physically in the nuts and bolts of everything, what I really try to pay attention to is, is how do they move? You know, every hitter is different. I don't believe in a cookie cutter way of hitting. Everybody has a different way of being successful. And the first place that I'll really look is the lower half. And I think that's the place that we need to look because I do believe that if the lower half is out of whack, then the rest of the swing will, will follow suit with it. But um, another thing that's really important to me, especially, and, and you know this too, that with the jump in velocity in this game, I don't see that changing. I mean, every year the average fastball is just going up and up. And there's, you know, with the player development that we have now, the arms are just getting better and better. So another big piece that I look for is just how effortless their swing is. 
And, you know, how much effort do they need to put into trying to hit a fastball that's moving 95 miles per hour? And we need to make sure that when we're evaluating these players that the swing that they work with and when they're going through their preparation, especially in a cage setting and a drill setting, will that swing work with velocity and movement? And I think that's where a lot of people, it's like a missing piece at times for a lot of people because we can make hitters look really, really good in the cage. But what matters most is what swing is going to show up at seven o'clock and the work that they're doing, is it going to translate? And I think Darren, um, I know he's been on your podcast. You know how great he is. He does a really great job of preparing these guys for what they're going to see and challenging these guys during their preparation. Um, but I think that's the first place that we need to look at when we're evaluating these guys is making sure that a, the relationship is built, you know, get to know them as much as you can, uh, from a personal level. And then when it comes to evaluating the swing, uh, making sure that what the swing is and where it's at is going to translate best um, with what they're going to face when it comes game time. Awesome. So I have a couple of things that uh, let, let's break down just based on, on what you were talking about. And uh, again, this is, it's, it's, a, it's kind of hard to talk mechanics through audio, but whenever you say, I'm looking for the lower half first. Can you just provide us kind of an outline of, of how, like what you're looking at and, and maybe describe it uh, uh, as best you can? Sure. Um, everybody, every hitter is different, like I said, but the main thing that's important for me is like, you know, a lot of these guys and especially where the game is at, like they need to have an understanding of what makes them successful. And, it's really easy right now to fall into the trap that the only way I'm going to make it is if I hit a whole bunch of home runs. But the, the question that needs to be asked is, yeah, of course, like hitting home runs is going to help you, but what is going to give you the best chance to drive the ball the way that you, that you need to. So what I see a lot with, with hitters, even at the professional level and all the way down is like with the lower half, is it, is it jump starting the swing too early? So is, so a big part for me, like what I like to see is I, I, I really, I want them to land like, and this falls back even when I first started coaching, like the main precedent of what's always been super important to me is the position that they're in when their front foot strikes and the consistency of how they can get into that position when their front foot strikes. It seems like a really simplistic concept, but it's a really difficult thing to repeat especially as you move up levels and the margin for error gets smaller and smaller. But what you'll see a lot of times with guys is that if the swing is souped up, if the motor is too strong and the lower half is jump starting too early or the back foot is leaving the ground too early, or if it's rotating too quickly, we're building holes within their swing or they're building holes within their swing in terms of space that they can cover on the plate that don't have to be there. So I like to see them land and I like to see them firmly planted. I like them to be in the ground and use the ground. It's only as good as long as we use it. And I like to see the, the, the hips and the body be as neutral or square to the plate as much as possible before the swing actually triggers to the ball. Because I believe that if that's a position that we can get into, that in terms of space, when it's like north, south, east, west, when we're looking at the plate, we have the best chance of actually covering all those different areas. And we're not uh, you know, bringing holes within our swing that don't have to be there. 
so I would say that's a, that's probably the, the main thing that my eyes try to see. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you for providing a description of what you're talking about. And again, we're uh, through audio, it's tough. And so I, I thought you nailed that. I thought that was a great job. But you also mentioned that you want them to uh, be challenged in their preparation. Can you dig more into that a little bit? <laughs> yeah, this is where this is where Everson's the best. So, um, you know, like I said, a big part of the game right now is velocity. So we, we have to prepare these guys. If you're going to make it the professional scene, you have to be able to hit a fastball. So in terms of our preparation, whether it's like short L screen velo, right, just kind of humming it in there and, and making it challenging in that regard, uh, we have to do it. We have to make sure they see that often. But what we also utilize a lot is machines, and we have a bunch of them. And our, our setup, just like, you know, every professional setup is, is pretty spectacular in terms of the amount of cages we have, the amount of resources we have, but angle, uh, angle machine work, whether it's coming into them or going away from them, but pumping it or pumping it up so that the velo is strong and just challenging them and, you know, making it difficult. And, you know, Darren talks all the time to the players that it's supposed, you know, it's supposed to be difficult. And like, if you have, a pitching machine humming it in there pretty firm at an angle they need to realize like what success is with that actual drill and for us it's like if you can square up and really nail like three out of ten it, it's a success because this drill and, the, and the, the difficulty level is so high so we just try to expose them as much as we can um, with with difficult uh, drills just like that whether it's the machine or if it's our arms and or whatever it is so that they have uh, their eyes are able to see as much as possible what they're going to experience in the game. Oh, really, really good. I love that. And, and I know uh, the Rangers uh, hitting coordinator, Cody Atkinson, talks about training dirty to play clean. And I've always, <laughs> I've always really liked that. And so <laughs> like it's, it's that. a very similar concept. I know Darren and CJ Gilman gave a, an ABCA talk uh, yeah. a couple years ago, maybe in Dallas, about some similar concepts that, that were really good. So I encourage our listeners to go check that out too if they want to kind of see a little bit of what I'm sure you guys have added to that but a little bit of what you guys are doing but let's uh let, let's talk about absolutes I know that that's kind of a hot button topic and again this is something that that again it, it's something that is a little bit unique to every, anyone that you talk to but we, our eyes always fall somewhere right and you talked a little bit about the, the lower half and maybe we can get into just some timing within that or just anything that, that you feel the need to share. But do you, do you think that there are any absolutes? Uh, the, um, the, imp, the, the non-popular question or answer to that question is no. And this question is always so hard to answer just because for me, every hitter is different. Every body profile is different. So you, you really have to analyze that. You really have to try to understand that and figure out with, with how their body's put together and how they're supposed to move, what is going to bring about the best amount of success. I don't believe in a cookie cutter way of hitting. Uh, actually, it makes me queasy. And we just have to look at these guys from an individual lens and, and try to help them, you know, be as successful with, within their, their movements as possible. You know, like I'll give an example. It's like when you're looking at a guy, let's say you have a blast sensor on him and he's got a fairly steep attack angle. 
the first thing shouldn't be, in my opinion, to just completely overhaul the swing so he doesn't have a sharp attack angle anymore. It could be as simple, and Christian Yelich talks about this, of just contact point. Hey, we just got to get you further out front with your contact point with your barrel. And then that attack angle actually becomes a strength if he if he learns how to feel that and understand that. So in terms of the swing and the mechanics in general, I would not say that there are absolutes. And this is where coaching becomes fun. It's just about every hitter is a unique puzzle and you have to put that puzzle piece, put all those puzzle pieces together individually with what they need. In terms of absolutes, the things that I think are super important is the, there has to be a certain mental profile. There has to be a way of these guys of how they understand how to go about their preparation. They understand how to deal with the adversity that they're going to see as they go up levels and the margin for error gets smaller, they have to understand that it's all a part of the word process gets thrown out so much, but the, the process of their development. And, you know, we live in a world right now where we crave really fast results. I mean, I can go on Google, type something in and get 35 million results in 0.01 seconds. You know, hitting doesn't work that way. So the absolutes for me is nothing to do with mechanics of the swing. It's just more so about if you're going to be successful, you have to have like a mental makeup to you that is different uh, and, and then that's going to help you deal with what you're going to see with, with the struggles and the failures and the adversity that's going to come about and approach it the right way going forward so that you're going to have the most success as you move up levels. No, that's great. And I love that you added some context into the blast sensor. And, and I think that it's always important to be able to do that with any sort of technology that we're using. If we don't know what the context is, <laughs> then I think it's a little bit reckless to be able to try and, you know, change a, a hitter swing based on, you know, the technology that, that we're seeing. If we, if we don't know everything that's involved with it. And like you said, it, it could be a timing issue. It could be, it could be working on, you know, the swing down drill that, that so many big league guys are talking about and, and then in a game, it's different. So, uh, yeah, I, I really can like I that. Add something I, to that. Yeah, absolutely. Please do. I, I, it's especially with attack, man. Like it's been such a, a prevalent part of the game, and it's so important that people realize that it's not about chasing metrics, but like when you're using the tech within your like individual philosophy of what you think makes a successful hitter use the tech for those metrics. Like for me, what's really important, like with the blast sensor, probably the most important metric for me is, is time to impact. Like how quickly can we go from when we're in the ground and we trigger our swing from that point to striking the baseball. But even then you have to be careful because like if I'm in the cage and we're in a really comfortable setting and, and we're not challenging them with velocity and it's, it's like, BP speed, they may have like a really good time to impact, but because the the environment itself is not very challenging, they could be compensating with their bodies to create that time to impact. So that's where like we have to be really, really uh, aware of with what we're seeing with the data and the setting that we're working on with the player. Will this actually translate at seven o'clock when they actually are facing that dude that's coming out? with that hot arm throwing 95, right? So the, the tech is great. It's objective data. We can get a lot out of it, but I would just, for the listeners, it's not about chasing metrics. It's about understanding the metrics and especially what works within your philosophy and still 
incorporating the environment that we're working on or working with the player? And is that going to translate the best um, at, at game time when we, we need the movements to be as efficient as possible? So you've mentioned this a couple of times, and, and I'd like for you to dig a little bit more into it. You've talked about creating hitters that hit in games. And so I, it sounds very obvious, but it, you know sometimes it's not. And so <laughs> is how do you know when something translates? Do you just backwards plan from the game? Uh, I think with, I think, you know, when something translates, when you actually provide the environment to challenge these guys and you test it out. So obviously there's times when we're in the cage where we need to slow it down, right. Where we need to allow these guys to actually feel things and make adjustments, but then you're only going to know if it works. If you actually challenge them, whether like we were talking about earlier with the angle velocity BP or uh, from the machine, or if it's our arms and we're humming it in there from a really short distance. So, and, and then video is huge, right? So like, I'll give you an example. I, I was working with a player where he was always really focused in terms of his forward move on his backside. And what we came to understand was when he focused so much on his backside, he was actually getting stuck on his backside. So he was basically like on a pedestal on his back leg and the ball was more than halfway on in flight towards him and he was still on his back leg. So from that point, when it, the task is hit the baseball, I got to get the barrel of the ball. But when you're stuck on your back leg and the ball's almost on top of you, you're going to land, you're going to open up early, you're going to open up holes within your swing, you're going to have a really hard time staying through the ball towards the middle of the field. So being aware of that and like you said, as coaches, we know this, that we don't want the players to be overly consumed with results. We want them to approach, approach everything the right way. But as coaches, we can take the results that they have and know that and use it as like an accountability factor towards us of the things that I'm trying to help this player with. Is it working or is it not? Right. So if, I, if I'm working with a player and he goes out and he can't perform in the game and the movements aren't translating, then obviously something is not right within the training environment that I'm putting him through. So, yes, you can look at the game. You can look at the film from the game and see how the movements are. Are they the same as he's experiencing in BP? But then also within our environments, our training environments, when we're in the cage, we have to challenge these guys and see if those movements that we're creating in the cage can actually trans, uh, translate over into something's a little bit more difficult when the ball's coming at them a little bit hotter. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's an imperfect thing, but it's a part, like I said, that I think gets missed sometimes is that it's not about training these guys to be really good BP hitters. We want to make sure that those swings uh, can translate when the environment's a lot more difficult for them. I love it. Great explanation. Question for you in regards to making changes. So, Pretend that I am a, uh, a a minor league player, a hitter that that you're going to be working with, and let's say the context is you saw me struggle in spring training, and and you saw me struggling in the first maybe six weeks of the season. So you've got a pretty large sample size, and you think that you've got some different things that can help me. I, I don't know if that's too long for you, or if if you, I, I, it just probably depends on the organization and the person and the player and their their history. But just we'll, we'll pretend here. 
so you've seen me for a couple of different a couple of months and I've struggled uh, we have we've negated that it's early in the season and, and we've we've negated that excuse and so if you're gonna have a conversation with me about making some changes kind of walk through and it maybe not be a checklist but what are some different things that you want to make sure that you hit on because again if, if I'm a minor league baseball player or even you know high school college uh, I've I have owned my swing for you know 20 years and in your position you're working with guys who are in the 1% of the world and and truly elite so what does that conversation look like whenever you are approaching a player you've built that relationship they've been around you for a little while so so what's the next step well you know at that point and and you kind of alluded to it I think it is really important especially like the, the, the new guys that have just got drafted or they're getting like their early experience in professional baseball. It's not about us just like hammering them right away. There is a, there is a really important part of us kind of sitting back and watching them and letting them kind of go through it to gain as much information as possible. So we need to do that. And I think in that scenario, if that were to happen, and the relationship has already been built or built and the trust level is there, it has to come from them. Right. So I think in that part, I think if that were to happen, what we need to do is the one-on-one -on -one conversations are really, really powerful. So you try to get this player individual with you and you just start talking. I think the best thing we can do is, is probe them with as many questions as possible to make them think and make them kind of come up with their own answers because when they're doing that, we're, we're just getting even more information from these guys of how best to handle them. And when we go through their, their experiences and, you know, quite honestly, whether it's college, high school or professional baseball, those failures that they go through is a really powerful learning experience and environment for them. These guys want to be good. And they want to make it to the big leagues, especially at that level. You talk about needing to embrace pressure. That's what has to happen, but they want to perform. So you have an individual conversation with them. You kind of go over the experiences that they've been having, probe them with questions, make them think. And I also think that a really good thing that you can do is if there's like a specific change that I'm seeing that I think could really help them or be an unlock to their success in game is try to find like similar video of similar movers at the biggest uh, professional level possible, the best hitters in the world and show them that video, you know, side by side with how they're moving and say, Hey, this is why I think this is going to work for you. And, um, I also think that that data can, that the data can help, right? We're very fortunate at our level that we have a whole bunch of information at our disposal. So we can also use that. And these kids are smart. You know, this generation, they understand data, a lot of them. I mean, you have to understand who can handle what and who can't. But for the most part, it's a it's a really, um, you know, informative way of letting them know that, hey, this is going on. And these slight adjustments could help unlock you and, and free you up and allow you to compete at the highest level at seven o'clock. So. If that was in that situation, that's how I would start. And then I think from there, you just try to develop a plan. The only way we can, you know, create the success that we want is to create a plan going forward and then create that plan with the player and attack it and just understand and have him understand that, hey, stick with this, go forward with it and and, and see what happens with it. And 
you know, try to uh, make sure that these players understand that, you know, you're in this with them and you're going to do everything in your power to try to find the right answers. And if they stick with it, that eventually it's going to unlock and things are going to start making sense for them. Cool. What, uh, or one of the things that you, that you mentioned that you're really passionate about is the use, or maybe just your latest thing that you're really trying to get better at and dig into is, uh, implements and constraints. And so can you provide an outline of number one, what is that? What do you mean when you say that? And then uh, we'll go into some practical drills, hopefully, uh, by the end of that conversation. Yeah, this is the exciting part of like where I'm at right now. And this has been kind of like a byproduct, I'd say, of like the last three years or so or so of where I've come to this. And I just got to a point, Jonathan, where I was I was just sick and tired of using internal thoughts only within my coaching because I came to the realization that if I'm only internal with how I'm teaching the swing, I'm training these guys to be in internal when they're in the batter's box and implements and constraints are basically things that you can put on the player in a cage setting that forces them to feel different movement patterns or forces their bodies to move in different ways. And basically what it is like by putting these things on them, you're screwing with their central nervous system to move in a different fashion. And with the players that I get to work with, they've been there. Like you said earlier, their swing has been theirs for 20 years, right? So they, they're very fine tuned. They're, they're very myelinated in terms of how their movements work. So a lot of times when they get to that level, and it's time to make changes, it's really, it's a more difficult process to actually make those changes happen because they are so fine-tuned with how they move. So I found that the way that you can help them feel the best is by forcing their central nervous system to move differently or to, to feel themselves move differently. And so I've been using these, these implements and constraints. It depends on the mover of what they need, but one that's a really hot one that you see all over Twitter and the hitting world is the core velocity belt. And I feel like it's one of the best in terms of what the hitter hitter needs and like, and providing feel. And you put this thing on them for what they need. And then the coolest part about it is that as soon as you take it off, it's like this aha moment kind of goes off in their brain of, holy cow, I can feel it on my own. But there's a whole bunch of different ones that you can use also, depending on what what's needed. Like I've used a, a water floaty. Uh, on the on the back arm for a guy that's getting too tied up to his body. And by putting a water floaty on his back bicep, it forces his arms to actually work through his window and get away from his body a little bit more so that he has some space and freedom to work towards the middle of the field. Uh, I've used a, a flipper, a water flipper, on a, a guy that's like really pushy out of the ground. You put that thing on their back foot, they can't push out of the ground because of how big the flipper is. So it keeps them more grounded and lets the swing trigger itself just a little bit more naturally. And what I really like about using these implements and constraints is like, especially at the level that we're at, these guys don't want to make like wholesale changes to their swings. So you, you explain it to them that we're not, we're not doing that. But by putting this thing on your swing is still yours. It's just going to challenge you and make you feel things a little bit differently. That's going to, uh, help you create the field to become your own best coach when you need to make an adjustment pitch by pitch when you're in the batter's box. So it's something that I've really been attacking. And the, the best part about it is when you put these things on them, like I said earlier, 
it's not overly internal. It's just let the constraint, let the drill do its job. But I'll tell the guys, hey, put this thing on, but still try to drive the ball off the top of the L screen. So what we're doing is we're putting this thing on them, but they're still staying external with their thoughts. So I think that translates really, really great when they get into the batter's box. And now instead of training a guy to be internal with his thoughts and, and getting trapped, because it's been proven that the brain can only handle one thought at a time. And that's sports psychology. And if they're in the batter's box and they have all these different thoughts going on, and it's not solely on the baseball, it's coming at them, their level of success is going to plummet. So it's about using these constraints and these implements within our training to help promote feel so that they can make adjustments to make them move more efficiently and better, but still trying to find a way to allow their brains to stay external, which will give them the the, the best amount of success when they're actually in the batter's box and having to compete. So the coolest part is with the implements, it fits with the sports psychology. It fits with the human anatomy. It fits with um, the central nervous system. And it, I think it's just a really strong way within player development to help these guys unlock certain parts within their swing where they don't feel overwhelmed, like they're, they're completely changing um, or overhauling their swing uh, from phase one, it, it, it doesn't work that way at all with these things. No, I really like that. And uh, I've been really trying to challenge myself when working with the players is giving them one, one thought, because I feel like, <laughs> I feel like with this pendulum swing that we are on, it used to be, you know, when I, I'm, I'm 31. And so when I was growing up, it was like right before uh, high mo or just any sort of hitting video and so everything was we were cued to death right and so you revert back to okay now we have all of this information and so my initial instinct whenever I started getting into coaching was I wanted to over explain things and I wanted to give them a very large picture of what we were trying to do and then uh, that doesn't work like you said the brain can only process one thing at a time uh, and, and especially they're doing an elite movement and just e even, you know, the less we can put on their plate, the better. And so what, like, what is the one thing that we can do that's going to help you and involving them in the process? I really love that you mentioned that too, but it's, it's hard to do. Like it's harder than people think because you want to tell them why, you know, the why behind everything, but you also want to make it concise. And so it's a, it's a, it's a really tough balance and. You know, it, yeah. it's, it's a really, it's an interesting conversation to have to navigate. Well, and I'll just say this too, with, with, uh, the implements and constraints, the, the coolest part about it too, since I've been experimenting with this and using this is the way I'll go about it is I won't give them the information before they actually try the implement or the constraint. I'll just say, Hey, you know, through the conversations that we're having with what they're experiencing in the game, it's like, hey, give this a shot, right? I have something that's kind of out there. It's a little bit weird, right? But I think it's going to help you. But take, take 10, 15 swings and try to drive the ball off the top of the L screen. And when they get to swing like 8 or 10, then I'll stop them. They'll be like, hey, what are you feeling? And I'm not kidding you to this point with all the guys that I've tried this with without giving them the information before they actually try it, right? Because if we do that, they're just going to regurgitate what you've already told them. But I'll say, hey, what are you feeling? To this point, let, I'm just going to throw out a number. Let's say it's been 50 guys. It's like 50 mm -hmm. for 50 that they regurgitate something back to me in terms of what I was hoping that they would feel. Right. So it's 
it's a really, really powerful learning experience for them. And it's, it's a way, like I said, that, um, we, we can, we can force their bodies to actually feel. And like, that's the thing that that's always been like my crutch. And it's maybe like a pet peeve of mine. It's like, Hey, make an adjustment. They can't, if they can't feel it. Right. And you know, like your hands, like, for example, like you're bearing your hands, your hands are getting too far behind your body. Yeah, but I can't feel it. So how would we expect them to actually make the adjustment? But with a constraint or an implement, we might be able to force their central nervous system to make that adjustment. Right. And then all of a sudden now it's like this light bulb goes off and they're like, holy cow, this is different. I'm getting the ball more clean. Um, it feels like my effort level has gone down a ton, but the ball's exploding off my bat differently. So it's just about being creative and allowing these guys. And, and the cool part is, is like at the professional level, and I've had the opportunity here throughout COVID, we've had Zoom calls with, with our players. I got a, a list of players that were my responsibility. And when these ideas started coming up in my head, I started asking them, hey, what would you think? It, like, what if I said, like, hey, you're being way, way too pushy out of the ground. And I said, hey, I want you to try to swing with a, a water flipper on your back foot. Would you look at me like I'm crazy or would you try it? And kind of a funny story is one of the players I was talking with said, Berm, I don't, if you told me to hit with my pants down, I wouldn't care if it meant that I was going to start driving balls into the gap. So like <laughs> these guys, all, all they want to do is they want to be successful. So they're willing to try. The intrigue level is really high. And like I said, with these things too, it's like, it's not an overhaul of the swing. It's just an implement or constraint and, and just try to drive the ball at the top of the L screen, but see if it can create the feel and, and the adjustments that we need to potentially unlock you to, to be more successful in the game. Sure. And so uh, a couple of things I, I would like to add, sometimes the constraints don't work. And so <laughs> it is, right. it is, it is a very coaching thing to be able to recognize that quickly and to go, okay, yeah, this worked for X, Y, and Z player, but let's try something different with you, you know, and, and sometimes we do have to give it time to, for them to figure it out. So being able to, to balance that is a really, is a, is a, is a good thing as a coach for sure. Uh, we can't have yep. so much pride that we came up with this constraint and it doesn't work <laughs> for everyone because it's not going to. And, and I know, you know that, but I, you mentioned that you, if you had a guy that was, I think you said burying his hands. And so for me, that's like getting them stuck behind his body. And then he's got to right. completely rotate to be able to get his hands back to where he can get them to the wall. And so do you have anything, any constraints that you would use for players like that? Yeah, for sure. I, um, you know, the, the water floaty can help with guys, uh, help guys with that a ton. Uh, you put that on their back bicep. And if their hands get buried, you know, as they make their move to the ball, they're going to they're going to pinch that water floaty up against their body. And they're going to they're going to feel that space that they don't have to have that clean movement. Um, a connection ball is a really easy one. Also, it doesn't have to be a connection ball. You could get like a, a soccer ball or a basketball and just kind of put that in between their arms and have them load. And this is a cool drill that actually works. Uh, it's like twofold. It kills two birds with one stone. Uh, you, you put a ball in between their arms. And you tell them, hey, I want you to, to, to load, make your forward move, but I want you to drop the ball behind you before you get your swing off. And that's also a really great drill for guys that tend to get their, their front side in the ground late. And they're rotating too quickly and the ball's right on top of them. So now it's a timing drill also where they have this ball in between their arms. So they're, they're forcing their arms to be away from their body a little bit. They're, they're giving themselves more space. 
because they have that ball in between their hands and their body, they're not able to pull it back and, and bury their hands, but they're also having to drop it before they get their swing off. So now the timing and getting into the ground and using the ground is a lot better also. But those are probably the two constraints that I would use. I, I have used the most that have had the, the biggest impact on the player that shows that they have a tendency to um, get their hair, their hands uh, buried behind their bodies. Well, that's great. All right, so uh, we are going to go ahead and skip ahead a little bit. And so, uh, you know, another thing that I wanted to go over with you was just in dugout talks. Like, I think that, again, we, we in the baseball world, we pendulum swing quite a bit. And it used to be we only talked situational awareness. And then we started to see video. And then we went completely to mechanics. And I've been guilty of this as well. And so I think that this generation is is lack they they're the probably the most skilled players that have ever walked the earth, right? And they're really really good at the skill of of you know hitting a baseball hard and throwing it throwing it far and and they may be lacking some strategy of the game and just understanding how to play the game within the game. And we talk about playing the game right and we talk about doing the little things, but I think a lot of times we know what that means but we may not translate it to from coach speak to what the players actually understand. And so what is just some, some different ways that you help with in-game strategy with players? Well, I think the, the big part of it is like having understanding of like what's in front of us and um, what the plan of attack is to give ourselves the best chance of, of having success. So, you know, the in-game strategy, you know, starts with, like probably the night before of just for me, especially as a coach of just having a really good understanding of like, who are we going to face? What does he have? You know, and I think with the guys in in-game strategy, it, the, the most important thing is that we want these guys to, to hit to their strengths all the time, if at all possible. Right. So understanding, and like I said, at the professional level, we have all this information at our disposal, which is great, where we understand their heat maps, like where are they really good in the strike zone and trying to see a ball out of the hand that's going to get them to a place where they consistently can get the barrel of the ball and drive it. So we want them to stay within their strengths as much as possible, but there's a lot of different situations that might come within the game. You might be facing a guy where it's his night. And he is he is dialed in and he can put the baseball wherever he wants to. So and at that point, if that's the case and where he's putting the ball is not within your strengths, then we need to have an ability to, OK, now I need to come up with a, come up to the plate with a plan to beat the pitcher's strengths. Right. And put my body in a position to where I'm going to be able to um, get the barrel to the ball with where I know it's going to end up right. where I think it's going to end up. So, you know by approaching that and just understanding like if we, if, if we go up there and we're, we're only solely focused on like where we're really strong at there, there could be some, some really tough nights if we don't have the ability to uh, make those adjustments pitch by pitch at bat by at bat to give ourselves the, the biggest uh, chance for success with what the pitch is showing us that night. Um, so, you know, and when those pitchers are really on, you know, it's just about grinding out the at bats as much as possible you know, those type of guys in those type of situations, instead of trying to drive a ball over the fence, you know, you know, putting together a whole bunch of at bats where, you know, a single, a whole bunch of singles might be what we need to get to the bullpen to where then we can kind of, you know, settle back into 
our strengths and get more pitches uh, where we want to drive them. But, um, you know, they, and the biggest thing for me is just making sure that they're still going up to the plate with a clear mind, that they're focusing on one pitch at a time, that, um, you know, the, the, the environment and, and what's happened already with the previous at-bats isn't overwhelming them and knowing that, you know, the next, that pitchers are human, they're going to make mistakes and that we can go up to the plate and be ready for that. And, um, you know, that in itself, you know, this Jonathan, like, like hitting is contagious. You have a couple guys that go up with really good solid at bats with what they're facing that day. It could completely unlock the rest of the lineup. And now you're in the bullpen and, and, um, you know, developing a new plan with what that pitcher's showing, but it's, it's a, a very organic approach, but, um, you know, just being able to, to really realize what's in front of us and, and come up with the best plan possible for us to have the highest amount of success in that moment. So how do you, how do you translate because I think this is a really big skill that really good coaches have in games. How do you translate? And, and again, I'm, I'm kind of thinking out loud with this one because I think that players do a really good job of this too, whenever they relay information about what the pitch looks like. But how do you, as the coach, translate? Not necessarily. I, I guess we could talk about the game plan since you have access to just a, a, a library of information about each pitcher. But you're in a game. How do you translate what you're seeing, what the players are seeing, and how do we make the plan simple for the player? I'll start with this. Like for me, the most important thing that I want to know. And that what I want the players to know is I want to know how the fastball's moving. Is it like, is it your standard? Is this a guy with like high spin four seam where it's mostly straight? Like they always say with Justin Verlander that he creates so much spin that it almost creates this illusion. Like the ball's rising as it's coming at you. Or is it a guy that's more, you know, like a three quarter arm slot with a whole bunch of swing and it's almost like a reverse cutter. Or is it a guy that, doesn't have as much spin and he's more of like a sinker slider. But if we have that understanding of how is the fastball moving, whether you're a righty or a lefty, then I think we can go up to the plate and simplify it for ourselves of trying to find a pitch out of the hand as early as possible um, to allow us hopefully to get to our strengths where we know we can do damage. Right. But if it is a pitcher that's on and he's exposing our strengths right? And he's pitching to his strengths, then it's still very powerful information to know how the fastball is moving. Because then again, you can see it out of the hand and come up with a simplified approach with your mind of, okay, the fastball does this. It's like a three quarter slot reverse cutter. So I need to see it start at this lane to get it to where I want it to, uh, to where I want it to end up to have the, the highest amount of success tonight. So if I had to simplify it, the, the high, the, the best way possible is for me, you need to know what the fastball is going to do and then you can walk up to the plate and uh, develop a plan that's going to help you the most that that night at seven o'clock. So um, that's the way I would start. Cool. I like that. I'm always looking for different ways to translate, you know, what we're seeing and, and depending on the level and depending on the players that you have, uh, the players are the best just because they, they they're seeing it in a box. But I also love that, that whenever you can, you know, we talk about speaking the player's language whenever we can speak their language too. So yeah. And, you... and, and you know this too, Jonathan, like from, from standing in the dugout, like the information that the players give you, it's everything. <laughs> so 
Like in terms of like, especially with how the fastball moves, mm-hmm. right? We don't have the full perfect picture from what we're seeing in the dugout, but that's where like the pregame planning is really important because we do have access to video. We can have a little bit of a better idea of like what they're actually going to be facing when they step into the box. But the feedback and the honest feedback that they come back to the dugout with is super, super important for us to try to help these guys create as simplistic of a plan as possible so they can have a clear mind and go up there and compete. So one question that I think would be very valuable for, for coaches everywhere is how do we, how do we promote that type of conversation whenever, cause we've, we've all had players lead off guys, two hole guys, three hole guys that can talk about that stuff and make it make sense to players. But what are some different ways that let's say that we're having to maybe teach that or having to get guys that are, are just, they don't like, you know, they don't like speaking in, in front of crowds or, or whatever, how would we help them with that? Um, Is that, que- that question probably wasn't very good, but just thinking of how do we teach game awareness? How do we teach what the pitch feels like to maybe guys who aren't, you know, may- it may be even, you know, rookie ball guys that are just getting out of high school. How do we, how do we translate that and how do we help them to translate their feels into things that are applicable for the rest of the team? Well, I think, I think it goes back to, you know, with us, we need to be really, we need to be really good communicators. So it's, it, it comes down to really probing them with as many questions as possible when the moment's right. Like you don't want to probe them with a whole bunch of questions and hammer them with a whole bunch of questions when they're in the middle of the game. Right. But find and pick and choose the right questions to make them think, make them regurgitate some information to you. And, you know, when you go through that process with them, I think their confidence level also kind of goes up in terms of understanding that this is not only helping them by having this conversation, but this may help the rest of the lineup too um, with what we're facing that day and and, and what we're going to be able to accomplish with, which, which with each task that, that comes about during the game. But I think that's the best way to do it is be prepared as a coach to probe them with the right questions, understand when it's the right time to ask those questions, understand the personality of each player. Some guys, you just need to dumbify it. Like the more questions, the worst, mm-hmm. right? Or you have to wait till after the game, you know, when they're in the, when they're in the clubhouse to pull them aside and then, and then start asking them questions, but not during the middle of the game. Some guys can handle it. Some guys can handle some more complex conversation in the moment and not have it become too much for when they walk up to the plate, the next at bat. But, um, the biggest thing is we just have to get them talking and we got to, you know, try to understand how they perceive things as much as possible, because then when you get them talking they provide that information for you, it only helps you more as a coach with how you move forward, not only with that individual, but for the rest of the guys um, that are on your that are on your team. Oh, great answer! And sorry for the off script question. I was just trying to think about that in my head. Of okay, so that was a great question. You, well, I think that we we take for granted coach speak a lot, you know, and and we are the experts, quote unquote, in our fields, and and a lot of times we expect players to know more than they do. And I just, you know, I was just thinking about that out loud, but. I do have a couple of questions before you go, uh, and you know the first one is: is what are you what are you excited about that you've recently either started to dig into or, or you started to learn about? Well, the it's the constraints and implements and the power that it's had 
uh, to this point with the guys that I've worked with in their development and having them truly feel things and become their own best coach and how the reason why I'm so excited about it is from digging in and coming up with this information, it's just all tied together for me. Finally, like this one common philosophy when you're, especially when you're considering like the other realms of what makes people successful, like the sports psychology, the human anatomy, how the body moves, all that type of stuff. You know, we, as coaches, we, we have, um, we have to really be careful of not overwhelming ourselves with too much information. And we all go through this process. And, you know, I, I think back to some of the things I was teaching when I first started and I think to myself, like, what the heck was I doing? But the constraints and implements along with everything else that I've been learning, it's just all really come together to this one common narrative of really allowing these guys to thrive and really allowing these guys to feel and make it as simple as possible so that they have the best chance to compete when it matters most. Awesome. Next question is, what is something that you used to believe that you don't anymore and why? Well, kind of going along with what I was just talking about, I used to really look at the swing as more of like a fixed levered movement. So looking at one piece at a time, whether it was the hands or the stride foot or the, the, the hips or whatever it may have been. And, you know, I think within probably like the last three years or so when I've really dug deep and, um, you know, tried to learn more, it's really allowed my eyes to develop to actually look at the swing as one common unit, like the whole unit, everything is working together. And with that, it's, it's, I feel like it's really had a benefit in terms of me helping players make adjustments faster, right? So instead of just looking at the backside, sometimes look at the front side move to help the backside work better. Or, um, you know, looking at something from the, the belt up, right? And, and having them you know, challenge them to feel something from the belt up that actually fixes something that's at the bottom of the swing or vice versa for, for either of those examples. So that was something that has really changed within the last couple of years of just looking at the swing and the movement and the body profile and looking at everything as one unit working together uh, that has had a, a really strong impact in these players and them being able to make adjustments. And the one other thing that came to my mind um, is I used to be the guy that always believed that the swing needs to be initiated from the back hip, right? And this is kind of like a controversial topic of like hip shoulder separation. And what does that actually mean? But like I said earlier in the podcast, I've come to the understanding that when we're talking about space of covering the plate and north, south, east, west, that for some guys, if you only teach them to initiate the swing from their back hip, it can actually be very, very detrimental to their success level in terms of um, being able to get the barrel and staying towards the middle of the field and staying through balls wherever they may be thrown. But that's something that has really changed. Some guys can handle it more if they're like really elastic and really loose movers. They can handle a little bit more hip shoulder separation, but it's just... Uh, an understanding within myself that you can't, it, it's not a fixed, it's not a one size fits all. Like you can't teach everybody that style of a swing and you have to look at them from an individual lens 
and um, really look at the sling as as one unit all working together and um, and not have a common teach for every single hitter when they walk up to the plate. Oh, that's great. And then finally, if you if you were gifted uh, a, a, a significant amount of money to buy one book for every one of our listeners, what book would you buy? <laughs> I have to say this book because um, as I've gone through this process, like I said, it was about two and a half, three years ago, I was stuck. And I was at a place where I felt like I could make players better. But I knew there was more that I needed to understand. And the big part was I needed to understand the body better. I needed to understand human movement better so that I could create this lens and I could create these eyes that could see things a lot quicker and help these players make faster adjustments. So the book that I chose to use and I did my homework, it all started with a Google search. And, you know, I, I didn't want to have like four different books to choose from. I just wanted to find one really solid one that I could get the right information from and attack going forward to see if it would work for me. And it was Old School versus New School um, by Eugene Bleeker. Uh, he runs 108 Performance out in California. And there's some chapters within that book that you probably have to read like three times through. But it was the book that for sure completely changed me moving forward in terms of what I was able to do within the player development realm and understanding things more, seeing the body as one unit working together, understanding the human anatomy and how it all fits and, you know, what we need to try to create to have efficiency show up within our swings. But it's a phenomenal book and it's great because it, the title of the book says it all. It ties the old school concepts that have proven to be really successful along with the new school things that we're experiencing right now within the tech and everything else that is um, accessible to us to use. And it ties it all together to kind of bring up together like this one common narrative of, you know, um, allowing these players to be as efficient as possible with their swings and their movements to bring the highest level of success. Well, awesome. Well, I will, put a link to that in the show notes uh, as well as your contact information your twitter account but i do want to uh, let you just talk to our listeners before you go and and trevor again thank you thank you let me be the first to say thank you for coming on and and sharing so much with us today i know that that i enjoyed it and had a great time but i also just again want to give you the chance to talk to our listeners is there anything else that you'd like to tell them before you go uh, yeah at first Thank, thank you so much for the opportunity. This is a phenomenal podcast. There's been so many great speakers on this, um, on your podcast. Um, and um, it's, it's a go-to for me to just continue to learn and, and get more information um, and try to find things that fit within my philosophy. But the, the one thing that I would for sure say to listeners is, um, you know, our jobs as coaches is to, we just, we, we want our players to be successful. And it's really important to remain open-minded and, um, you know, try to find everything out there that can allow our players to have the most amount of success as possible. And like, even like with these constraints and implements, it can be a kind of a, a controversial topic because a lot of the things that I've used would be deemed as weird or they would be deemed as, um, you know, trying to, you know, reinvent the game. But, I'm not trying to do that. All I'm trying to do is, is help, help my player feel something different. I'm trying to help them make 
become their own best coach, to walk in the batter's box and be able to make adjustments pitch by pitch or at bat by at bat. So I would just say, like, remain open-minded. And there's a lot of really great baseball minds and people out there. You know, listen to them. You know, uh, experience is so important. A lot of these coaches that we can learn from, they've worked with more players. They've had more experiences. They've seen, you know, um, different profiles and they've been able to make those connections and, and use it with uh, future players to help them make adjustments faster. So just remain open-minded and continue to learn and find whatever's necessary to help these players thrive um, as quickly as possible. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which can include Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.